Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, under ordinary circumstances, John the Baptist would probably have grown up into the priesthood like his father. Both his parents were descendants of Moses' brother Aaron, the Israelites' first priest. It was a natural form, except God had other plans. Plans drawn up before the day was first conceived. So instead of being raised to take his place at the altar, John followed God's path, a path that led him out into the Palestinian wilderness along the Dead Sea near the Jordan River. No family, no friends, no social life, no neighbors. Pretty much no life at all, at least not in the sense that we would think of as a life. But John was a prophet. He had one job, one single calling. That was to prepare the world to receive the grown-up Christ child by calling it to repentance. No one ever said it would be easy, and the prophets never did have it easy. At God's direction, their lives and sometimes even their appearance would often be a reflection of their message kind of visual aid that would be hard for the people to to forget. Isaiah once had to go around in his underwear for three years as a warning against the people not to form an alliance with Egypt against Assyria instead of trusting the Lord. The prophet had to dress like a beggar, like a prisoner of war, as a sign that mighty Egypt, uh, presumed to be the lesser of Judah's enemies and certainly not her savior, would one day be crushed by the Assyrians and led away as captives themselves humiliated and stripped to their bare essentials. The prophet Jeremiah was sent to his people to announce that God could no longer be proud of them, that they turned away from him one too many times. To make his point, he has Jeremiah go out and buy a new loincloth. He was told to wear it for a while and then take it off and bury it for a few weeks until it was ruined and ragged by the dirt and the water, and then go dig it up and without washing it, put it back on. Running around in his dirty shorts would picture for the people that this is what was going to happen to them for ignoring the one true God to chase after other false gods. The nation of Israel had destined themselves to be ruined and left in tatters. God told the prophet Hosea to marry an adulterous woman whose unfaithfulness to the prophet would reflect the unfaithfulness of God's people. They had three children whose names were to be God scatters, not loved, and not my people. You get the picture? Yeah, so do the Israelites. That's what's going on with John's getup. His rough camel hair clothes and a simple leather belt without any jewels or fancy decorations. It was the same way a prophet Elijah had dressed almost 900 years earlier. The last prophet to appear before John's arrival was Malachi, who prophesied that Elijah would come again to usher in the day of the Lord, the day Jesus returned. It had been 400 years of silence since that last word from God had been received, and no prophet had come. And now along comes John, stepping out of the same wilderness that God's people had traveled through to get to the Promised Land, baptizing in the same waters of the Jordan that they had crossed on their way to the Promised Land so long before. And Jesus would later confirm that John was the Elijah who had been prophesied, not the same man, but the last of the Old Testament prophets, who even dressed like Elijah. Uh, John would have had their attention. It was something they couldn't have missed. First century Jews uh, would have made the connections, the first century Jews. They would have understood that the end times were just really the, the, the beginning. We're just starting right then. The day of the Lord was finally arriving, uh, and they knew that they weren't ready. 
Luke records that they even asked John, what shall we do? And John tells them, if a man has two tunics, he should share with one who has none. And the one who has food should do the same. He told the tax collectors not to collect any more from people than what they really owed. And he told the soldiers to stop exhorting money from the people. Making a straight path in the wilderness for the Messiah was part of John's message. It was meant to turn people back to God as they flocked into the wilderness to hear it. People would travel long distances to hear him, and those people would run off and tell their friends and then return with them. And then those people would run off and return with their friends and so on until uh, before long all sorts of people were making their way out into the wilderness to hear John, to hear this new prophet of God. They sought him out in large numbers, huge numbers. Some scholars estimate that as many as a million people might have heard John preach. And he preached them in black and white. He didn't sugarcoat his message to avoid hurting anybody's feelings or or damaging their their self-esteem. It was straight at him. Repent, he said, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the hearts of many were turned to repentance, and John baptized them. They were being prepared for the arrival of Jesus and his ministry. In one sense, they'd already had 400 years to prepare, but they didn't. And now time was running out, but in his grace, God was giving them one last chance. So how much time have you spent preparing for Christmas? You know, you're counting in in minutes or hours or days or or weeks, because you don't have many of those left. The decorating, the planning, the parties, the church functions, the the baking, the card writing, uh, we're halfway there, you know, maybe... Maybe you got a little shopping left to do, maybe a little baking, a little decorating, a little card writing, a little, maybe the whole thing. We got a couple of church functions coming up. But how much time have you spent preparing for Christ? Did you pencil in any time for him? Uh, to block out time, to spend alone with him? Just the two of you. You know, it's something that has to be done purposely. If you have children, think back to when your children were, were very young. Some of you don't have to think that far back. But with young children, it's a way different kind of Christmas, isn't it? Especially with the first child. There's a baby on the way, we plan ahead. We, we take classes, we read books, we want to be ready. The second child, maybe not as much, and by the time the third child comes along, it could be more a matter of recycling than shopping. But regardless, when kids are involved, it takes a lot of planning to get them to pull it off. So why don't we do that for the Christ child? Why don't we allow ourselves enough time to get ready for our lives to change forever? Maybe it's because we spend so much time preparing for for Christmas that we forget to prepare for Christ. We get caught up in so many other things, we forget the the babies that's coming. And that's a little like John the Baptist's message this morning, isn't it? Amid all the planning and the parties and the present shopping, we need to prepare for Christ. It's just that instead of cleaning up the spare room and redecorating it as a nursery, we need to clean up the clutter in our hearts and repurpose our lives. We need to repent of all our busyness and start making some lifestyle changes. We shouldn't be surprised that having the Christ child in our lives is, is going to take some effort, some, some energy. And then to top it off, we tend to overlook the same child not long after his birth. You can ask any parent in the place this morning and they'll tell you. Uh, the celebration of the baby's arrival is just the beginning. Parenthood only begins at birth. And it never really ends. And our relationship with the Savior born at Bethlehem should only grow as we move forward through the new church year. You can't just put him in a daycare on Monday through Saturday and 
spend a little time with him on Sunday morning and think the bond you formed at Christmas isn't going to suffer as a result. What kind of relationship can you expect from that? You know, everyone in the world either has been or will be affected by Jesus Christ in some way or other, all of life. And it wasn't just the ordinary folks who made the trip out into the, to the wilderness to hear John either. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the leaders of the church and experts in Scripture, they came too. They were like the bishops and the cardinals and the pastors and the, the, the deacons and elders and Sunday school teachers of, of their day. And they didn't even always agree with each other on some of the finer points of Scripture. But they, they showed up to see what all the excitement was about. And when they did, John was ready. You know, it was their job to lead, God, lead God's people and prepare them for the Messiah. And they just hadn't done a very good job of that. You brood of vipers, he says. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Abraham was the father of our faith, their faith. It was through Abraham that God first made his covenant and promised the Messiah. Now the reference to serpents was a clear connection to Satan. Since the fall of man in Eden, this was Satan's world. In John's gospel, he's even called the prince of this world. And that's why he felt bold enough to offer Jesus all the kingdoms of the world for a price when he was tempting him in the wilderness. Now there was a new kingdom coming, the kingdom of God. And they better get ready to welcome it if they wanted to be a part of it. So the question this lesson raises is this. What needs to change in your life to be ready for Jesus? Because that's the key, isn't it? John was accusing them of talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Unless they actually turned and, and, and walked in the way of God, and in doing so made room for the coming Messiah, he wasn't going to accept that they took his baptism of repentance seriously. They'd always pointed to their pedigrees for assurance of God's favor. They were part of God's chosen people by birth. Abraham was their ancestor. But while John says that that wasn't going to work for them. These religious authorities were big on show, but faith for show doesn't get it. A faith that works as a result of that faith does. Faith changes a person from the inside, and then it refuses to stay locked up inside. It wants to express itself, and John knew that wasn't happening with these men. Nor is his baptism the final answer. He points them to Jesus, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You know, sin is sneaky, isn't it? It, it often starts out small, maybe just a, a seed a, 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 of a sinful thought planted by the devil or maybe even our own sinful natures. But maybe just a desire for something that's out of your reach, but you just can't let go of it. You water it a little, you fertilize it by giving it an audience once in a while, and after a while that idea can take root. It can begin to grow into an obsession. Even though following up on it could result in your downfall or, or certainly uh, a setback. You know, how many people do you think we're going, are going to be celebrating this Christmas on credit that they won't be able to pay for in January? I mean, it's not exactly like going out and you know, holding up a liquor store, is it? But it's still not a well-thought-out plan. You're really only robbing yourself uh, of your own future at 28% interest. That's how the world, not God, wants us to celebrate Christmas. Focus instead on the true gift of Christmas, the one lying in the manger. 
When John calls for us to repent, he isn't just talking about the big, glaring, bad habits and traits that need to be dealt with. The ones everybody knows about anyway. He means the private ones too. The ones resulting from poor judgment or even poor choices. Because it's really all the same to God. The word used for repentance means turning away from. Not just stopping. More like turning away from one thing and then turning around towards, back towards something else. John's message is that you better decide what that something else is right now. You know, or who that something else is going to be. Repentance doesn't come naturally for fallen people like us. Unless you think repentance means you're sorry because you got caught. But sorry is just a start. You know, we're all sorry when we get caught. Repentance means not doing it again. It means turning around and heading back to Jesus. You know, don't save something this important for a New Year's resolution. Resolve to make that change, that turnabout today, before it's too late. Just like John's appearance to get people ready for Jesus, Advent is a time of preparation. It's a time to get our own house in order so we won't have to walk through a lot of clutter, a lot of hoarded sin before we can peek into the manger on Christmas Eve. Maybe there's someone you've been meaning to reach out to or make amends to. Maybe a small group you've been thinking about hosting, a Bible study, Uh, any of those things. Maybe a year-end donation to catch up on your tithe. Something that keeps nagging at you and and somewhere in the back of your mind and it just won't go away. Now John's saying that it's time to deal with whatever it is that's been cluttering up your life. To deal with those things because Jesus is coming and it's past time to get ready. His words are harsh, but it might help to think of them not as a threat, uh, but really as a a chance to offer a gift, your gift for the Christ child. Turning away from the world at this holy time to to set your eyes on God's kingdom instead. He makes it possible by the new new Hardy's offering through the forgiveness earned for us by a grown-up Christ on a Good Friday cross. Now maybe we can all find just... uh, one small way to make this Christmas better for someone else. Uh, once you get your house in order, uh, I'll bet you'll see plenty of opportunities. Just pick one. And see if it doesn't take you back to the manger. On one Christmas day, a small manger had been set out on a table just outside a living room doorway of a neatly kept home. Family members hurried back and forth past it all day long, barely noticing the tiny figures gathered around the, the infant tucked into golden straw. In the morning, the children raced by it on their way to the Christmas tree. At noon, arriving guests pushed past it, one accidentally knocking over a shepherd as he took off his, his winter coat. Later in the afternoon, a well-fed assembly of adults and children moved past it again, a little more slowly this time, as they drifted from the dining room back into the living room. Almost none of them stopped to look at the manger, though. In fact, uh, none of them even noticed it, except two. An older woman walking with a cane paused in front of the scene. Gently, she picked up the shepherd and set him upright again. Then she looked at the child in the middle of the figures. It wasn't long before she realized her young great-grandson was standing at her side. As voices drifted across the living room, the two continued to look deeply at that scene. At length, a smile spread across the woman's face. The child took her hand and he smiled too. In the midst of a day filled with so much busyness, the two of them quietly received God's gift. That's how the real Christmas enters enters our lives. Not in great leaps, but in quiet moments we can miss if we're not prepared. 
It's at the root of John's message today. You know, look past the hair clothes and the wild diet, the warnings about the axe at the root of the tree, and just take a minute to stop and think about what you need to take care of in your own life so that you're ready and what you're getting ready for. So that when the one who is coming shows up, he'll have a home waiting at your house. So that you'll have room in your heart this year for Jesus. Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Continue now with our next song.